0: Good afternoon, saints. Can we stand? As we used to say, rest on our feet. God's holy word is coming from Matthew chapter 22. Turn your Bibles and your phones and your tablets and your all that good stuff. You got it? Say amen. If you don't, say hold up. Everybody got it. Amen. In your Pew Bibles, it's uh, page 23, the, the New Testament page 23 in your Pew Bibles. Matthew chapter 22, from verse 15. And the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of, good, of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore... Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. God's word for God's people. Amen. Praise the
1: Lord. It's good to be in the house of the Lord one more time. Matthew chapter 22. Verse 15 through 22, as we continue our series through the gospel according to St. Matthew. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts truly be acceptable in your sight. May the edification, Lord God, of our body, this body, this local body, be acceptable in your sight. And may the evangelization of sinners be acceptable in your sight. For you are our Lord, our strength, and our Redeemer. I have prepared, Lord God, but I need your Holy Spirit. Priest through me that your people may be edified. In Jesus' name we do pray. And the people of God say amen. Amen. I want to preach on a topic giving your allegiance to God alone. How do we faithfully execute our duties as citizens in this country while being faithful to Christ as citizens in God's kingdom? What does allegiance to God look like in the midst of political chaos? What and who do you ascribe to To meet your deepest need and heal your greatest hurts? What does it mean to give yourself over to God in the area of politics? Do you find yourself pledging your allegiance to a person or a cause or a thing above your relationship with God in Christ? How do we love mercy, do justice? And walk humbly with our God when we have people in our lives who may smile on our face and stab us in our back the next moment. Where is your ultimate allegiance? Matthew chapter 22 verses 15 through 22 gets at the heart of these questions and captures for us what it means to give our allegiance to God alone. Walk with me through the contours of one of the most quoted and yet misunderstood texts in the Bible. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God. And you do not care about anyone's opinion." For you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus could have easily said, or not. But Jesus said, aware of their malice, why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and in inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. First, I would have you to notice in this text, the word thin alerts us to the fact that something happened to cause them to respond the way that they did, to plot and entrap Jesus. To understand that, then you have to travel with me back to the scene in chapter 21 as Jesus enters Jerusalem riding on the donkey as Israel's long awaited king. The crowds lit up the city, the litter, littered the city with palm branches, throwing their garments on the road as Jesus entered in. They gave him the royal treatment, they were shouting, Hosanna! To the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And almost immediately after Jesus entered Jerusalem, we find him entering the temple where people worship to purge it. The scripture says he entered the temple and and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, my house should be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Evidently, this did not sit well with the chief priests and scribes. Mark tells us that this resulted in them seeking a way to destroy him. The very next day, Jesus enters back into the place he just cleaned out, and he starts teaching the people with unparalleled authority. In the minds of the Roman officials and the religious leaders, this was a hostile takeover, provoking the chief priests and the elders of the people to question such authority. Of course, they were met with defeat as Jesus answers their question with a question, follow me, I'm going somewhere. In view of the religious elite questioning Jesus' authority, he unloads three parables on them. The parable of the two sons, the parable of the tenants, and the parable of the wedding feast. we heard last Sunday. All three parables brought serious charges against people who had already rejected Christ as their king. The scripture says, Then the Pharisees went, and plotted along with the Herodians to entangle him in his words. Notice here, the Pharisees were so obsessed with trying to get rid of Jesus that they formed an unnatural political alliance with the Herodians, their despised enemies. The Herodians were influential persons and strong advocates of King Herod's dynasty, You recall in Matthew chapter 2 that King Herod put a hit out on all the male children ages 2 and under in his attempt to kill the Christ child. These groups hated each other, but somehow they banded together to get rid of Jesus. It's amazing what you will do when you get desperate. Verse 15 says, then the Pharisees went out and plotted how to entangle him in his words. The plot that trapped Jesus was malicious. The band of Pharisees, disciples came under the guise as inquisitive students, wanting to learn, wanting to learn from the master teacher. They didn't look like the Pharisees. They called him teacher. They even praised his character and his teaching style. Teacher, we know that you are true and that you teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinions. For you are not swayed by appearance. And as students, they even ask him a seemingly innocent question. On the surface, it certainly appeared like they wanted to become Jesus' disciples, but they were decoys from the Pharisees with devilish intent to trap Jesus by his own omission and have him arrested by the Roman government. Given Jesus' response, they were certainly going to indict him on charges of insurrection. Jesus said in verse 17, they said to Jesus in verse 17, tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? The question was not a curious question, but a provocative one. They were testing him. They wanted a simple yes or no answer. But Jesus saw right through it. He saw right through their false flattery and called them two-faced. You hypocrites. He recognized the daggers in his opponent's smiles. The predicament they put Jesus in was messy and complicated, you see there was a controversy among the Jews who did not see it was fit to pay taxes to Rome. They saw the payment of taxes as a recognition of Rome's right to rule over Israel. These would have objected to the payment of taxes on purely political grounds. Some felt even strong enough to say it was actually wrong to pay taxes to Caesar. So how does Jesus answer? Todd Craven points out that if Jesus answers that it is lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, then the Pharisees will condemn him for being pro-Roman and anti-Israel. If Jesus answers that it is not lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, then the Herodians can condemn him for being anti-Roman and pro-Israel. In the first case, he offends Jewish nationalism by supporting a foreign government, and in the second case, he offends Roman nationalism by failing to support the present ruling power. In the former case, he breaks the religious law of Israel by approving, paying the tribute to the foreign power whose leader claimed to be divine. And in the latter case, he breaks the law of Rome by encouraging rebellion and treason. In either case, his career is over, for he will be immediately arrested. This was the perfect Catch-22 situation in their mind. The scripture says they were trying, really, to entrap him. They tried to deal Jesus a bad hand, but Jesus knew he wasn't playing with a full deck. They tried to put the king in checkmate, but they failed to realize that the whole, he sees the whole board and he owns all the pieces on the board. The game was over even before it got started. The plot against Jesus was predicted hundreds of years earlier in Psalms 2. Psalms 2 is quoted and alluded to at least 18 times more than any single psalm in the Bible. Listen carefully to these words, how they play out in Matthew chapter 22, Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst apart their bonds. And cast away their courts from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise and be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So how does Jesus respond to these impostors? Thank you for asking that question. Jesus says, show me the coin for the tax. And I'm sure one of the students sitting there pulled out a coin. And then Jesus followed up with a brilliant counter question. Whose likeness and inscription do you see on this coin? And at this point, this was a moment of deep observation. As Jesus turns the table, Towards his opponent, the Darius was the coin in which taxation was collected and calculated and paid. Many Jews would have used the coin with reluctance because they despise the face on that image. Matthew chapter 18, verse 28 tells us that a Darius was a day's wages, it's what you earned at the end of the day on your job when your shift ended. The common denarius was a tribute to the the king there, Tiberius. Notice the inscription on the front was a picture of Tiberius with the saying, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. Wow. And on the back was a picture of Tiberius seated on the throne with the inscription, Highest priest. Wow. This meant that Caesar wanted more than you simply using his coin. He demanded you worship his image. In fact, history tells us that Caesar claimed divine status. Look at how these no-good students respond to Jesus. Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then Jesus said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. This is why Jesus says, render the things that are Caesar to Caesar, and to God the things that are God." This is why he says it, because Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Believers must reject all ultimate claims of authority, for God alone is the ultimate authority. But what Jesus was telling them to do wasn't going to be easy. Right now we're in tax season. Amen. People either love it or they hate it. The point is, if you're going to use Caesar's money, then you ought to pay Caesar's tax. If you're going to take his money, then you need to return it when he asks for it. But some might ask, did Jesus really pay taxes? Fair question. Elsewhere in Matthew, Jesus paid the temple tax and really didn't have to because of his status as a son of God. Matthew chapter 17 verse 24 says that when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? And he said, yes. And when he came into the house, right before Peter even said anything to Jesus, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From who who do the kings of the earth take the toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And he said, from others. And Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Watch this. Jesus is way too cool. However, not to give an offense to them, go to the sea, cast the hook, take the fish, the first fish that comes up, and when you open his mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. That'll take care of it. Wow, Jesus is way too amazing. Give to Caesar what. Belongs to Caesar. The verb here literally means to give back, and it was used of paying debts, as we see in Luke chapter 7. Giving this coin to Caesar simply was returning to him what was his. However, the emphasis Jesus made often gets overlooked in favor of people using this passage to prove the separation of church and state, as we see in Western history. The emphasis, though, is here on the Jewish leaders and the Roman officials not rendering to God what God is due. Jesus was not, watch this, referring to two spheres of authority on equal footing. God's authority is supreme while Caesar's authority is delegated from God. Somebody say amen. Jesus makes it very clear here that Caesar is not divine. There's a vast categorical distinction between Caesar and God. These are not two equal authorities. One is temporary, the other is eternal. Man's authority is derived from God's authority. When both demands are not at odds, as we see here, obligations to both can be met, as we see in Romans chapter 13 and 1 Peter chapter 2. The scriptures let us us know that God has ordained what we call human government for a reason. Government, as God ordained it, was designed to prevent crimes against humanity. Not merely for the sake of retribution or rehabilitating the offender or deterring future crimes. Rather, it was most fundamentally about affirming and protecting the life and worth and value of the person and the victim as we see in Genesis chapter 9. government should protect citizens from threats from the outside and inside, regardless of its form. On the flip side, Jonathan Lehman said, broadly speaking, two kinds of governments show up in the Bible. Those who knew they were under God and those who thought they were God or equal to God. The first kind protected God's people. The second kind attacked them. The first kind knew they were servants, as we see in Romans chapter 13. The second didn't. So they acted like divine impostors and beasts, as we see in Psalm 2 and Revelation chapter 13 and 17. The first were more likely to drive inside of their God-assigned lanes. The second more likely to drive outside of them. This is why we should pray for those in the government. Because ultimately it provides a platform for salvation according to the Apostle Paul. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. First of all, then I urge that supplications and prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. All refers to all the good, the bad, and the ugly. That includes you, me, and Caesar. So, what's the point? Don't steal what belongs to Caesar, be honest with your taxes. Be a good citizen. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Honor the job God bless you with. If you don't like it, quit and find a new one. Work as unto the Lord and not unto man as eye-pleasers. Don't be a clock puncher on your job. Clock in you and you watch the clock as if you're going to speed it up. I'm learning that when I go to work, I have to go to worship. Somebody say amen. There was a story of a merciful boss. Do you believe in life after death? The boss asked one of his employees. Yes, sir, the new employee replied. Well, then, that makes everything just fine, the boss said. It went on. After you left early yesterday to go to your grandmother's funeral, she stopped in to see you. (laughs) Definitely render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And if Jesus were to simply stop there with rendering to Caesar, he would be endorsing what Caesar doesn't deserve. And that is worship that belongs to God alone. But he doesn't stop there. He said, give to God what belongs to God. First, we looked at the question of whose image do we see on the coin, but now, whose image do you see when you look at Caesar? Okay. Look beyond Caesar's mess. What do you see? You see God's image. You see an image bearer, though distorted indeed like the rest of humanity, but an image bearer nonetheless. Now, look deeper. Whose image do you see when you look in the mirror? You see God's image. You and I bear God's image. God's image is not imprinted on a coin like Caesar or Abraham Lincoln or George Washington. No. God has stamped his image on us. (laughs) We have a divine inscription And although our image has been distorted by sin, we were made for God. St. Augustine said it this way, said it best. You have created us for yourself and our hearts are restless until we find our true rest in you. One glorious day in the future, we who are Christ's disciples will be completely conformed to the image of God's Son as we see in Romans chapter 8. In essence... What Jesus was masterfully saying, go ahead and give Caesar the money that is due Caesar. But be sure to give yourself over to God. Your complete, undivided allegiance belongs to him alone. Your heart, your mind, and your soul belongs to him alone. The two greatest commandments tell it all, as we will see in two Sundays from now. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Just don't sit there and warm the pews and ride the bench, but get in the game. Give yourself over to God completely. Give yourself to him for you belong to him. We belong to him. The New Testament makes it very clear that you and I belong to God. Acts chapter 17. For he, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps find their way towards him and find him. C.S. Lewis is right. There are no mortals. <laughs> nations, Cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. Their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, and snob and exploit. So every person we meet is headed for either immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. But there is no mere mortal. That's why you and I have to respect the image. Amen, Pastor Tim. We owe God our everything, even our obedience in Christ. John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Everything we have belongs to God. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. The money in your pocketbooks and your wallets and your bank accounts and your 401ks and your investments belong to God. Your time, your talents, your spiritual gifts, your treasures belong to God. Jesus says, "Where." a person's treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart belongs to God. (laughs) A mother was teaching her son about the concept and the responsibility of giving. She gave him two quarters. One to give to God in the offering plate that Sunday and one for himself. And on his way to the store before church The boy accidentally fell and suddenly one of the quarters slipped out of his hand and fell into the sewer crate. And he looked down and he looked back up and he looked down. Well, there go God's quarter and began to walk to the store. And that's how some people treat God's stuff, right? There go God's quarter. Everything we have belongs to him. Yes, render to Caesar what belongs to him, but make no mistake about it, God owns everything, including you. Not only do everything we have and own belongs to God, but we owe him all the glory. (laughs) Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, I'm still in the same book. In the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Paul said in Colossians whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All glory belongs to him, all worship belongs to God exclusively. We owe him all of our worship, it doesn't belong to Caesar. During Jesus' temptation in Matthew chapter 4, he confronted Satan with these words, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. How does the book of Matthew close? In chapter 28, And many came to him and worshipped him, but some doubted. Worship belongs to God alone. He deserves all of our worship. He deserves all of our praise. It belongs to him exclusively. Psalm 100, the heart of the Psalter. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures throughout all generations. Somebody say amen. But notice how this passage ends. It struck me. You can easily gloss over this, but look at verse thirty, verse 22. When they heard it, they marveled, the scripture says. When they heard what Jesus said about rendering to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God, when they heard it, they marveled and they left him and they went away. The game was over. This was an unbelievable defeat. (laughs) But the one phrase that hit me the most was this. They marveled and went away. There was no intentions of sticking around and putting their faith in him and following him as as his disciples. No. They simply were amazed and they walked away. They didn't swallow their pride and admit that they were seriously wrong. They just marveled and left him and walked away. You see, their ultimate allegiance wasn't to God. Their ultimate allegiance was to the political party. These disciples went back to the Pharisees, and the Herodians went, returned back to Herod's, King's, King Herod's dynasty. That was it. End of story. What's the point here? When you reject the king of kings, as we heard last Sunday, and walk away from him instead of walking toward him by repent, repenting of your sins and believing in him, you have absolutely no refuge from him in his wrath. Listen to how Psalm 2 ends. Mound therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Are you ready to have a genuine relationship with the son of God? If you are, then it's time to stop playing games with him. It's time to stop playing church or pledging your allegiance to someone or something other than God. Kiss the Son of God through surrendering faith in Christ and salvation secure for you at the cross and the empty tomb will be yours forever and you will be his. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Listen. There is only refuge in him, not refuge from him. Give your allegiance to God through faith in Christ alone. In Jesus' name, amen.